hungry, excited. Praise God. Look at all these young people on the front row. Amen. Praise the Lord. God's doing good things. Amen. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, turn over to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. We're not going to read that right quick. I have a video I want to show you. I like visual things, amen, and so I want to show you quickly this video. Amen. You know, as we were driving around Denton and the different little cities, you see churches everywhere, different types of churches. When I was uh, searching for God, my wife and I, you know, we had all kinds of different ideas, probably like many of you, you know, is there a God? And if there is a God, how do you know him? Who's right? Is the Jehovah Witness or the Mormons or the Buddhists or the Catholics? Who's right? Who's, who's, how do you find God? Everybody's had those thoughts. 
Of the world's religions that are out there, not a single religion deals or addresses the area of sin. The God of the Muslims, he didn't die on a cross for anybody. He didn't die for anybody's sins. Krishna didn't shed his blood for the sins of the world. Buddha didn't take a beating on a whipping post for our healing. There are all kinds of ism and schisms out there, man. All kinds of different things you can believe in. And I, I remember thinking about religion. You know, religion is, is, if you think about religion, you know, there's, there's a difference between Christianity and religion. Religion kills. Religion is the, is the letter of the law. Christianity sets a captive free. How do people get free? Tonight we're going to pray for people that have habits. We're going to pray for people that are bound by things. There's a lot of things that people get bound by. Anything from pornography to cigarettes to bitterness to anger, drugs, alcohol, you pick it. There are tons of things that people get bound by and oppressed by. And I used to think to myself, why do people want to be bound? Why do they want to, you know, get high? Why do we want to, to drink? And, and I'm going to share with you a little bit of my testimony and how I, how I got free. But, and I, th I thought about it for a minute. The only answer I could come up with is, is actually a twofold answer. One, we do it because we're influenced by other people. And number two, we can't deal with life. And so we want to kind of tune out. And so when I drank... Uh, when I would drink alcohol, I would, uh, it would kind of like numb, numb the pain, numb the problems, numb the circumstances. So it was easy. I hate to admit this, but when I got married, um, I had to drive around the church while my wife waited inside the church with the best man and everybody else. I had to drive around the church in a car and drink a six-pack before I went in because I, I couldn't make that move, amen, without some, something to numb me up slightly. And I got to thinking about our society today. We are an addicted society. And I know y'all in church, you got your suits. Some of y'all got suits on. You look all nice. But we're an addicted society. I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm from California, but I've been living in Colorado. And I'll say it again. We're an addictive society. We drive down the streets of Colorado. I smell weed everywhere. You could drive down the freeway and smell weed. They got big factories of weed. They're growing weed everywhere. Weed's everywhere. It's popular. What comes with the weed is all the homelessness. Every single corner, somebody's standing on a corner holding up a sign. You know, need money for this, need money for that. People pull up in Mercedes Benz and, and all these fancy cars, park them in a parking lot over on the side, then walk out over to a corner and hold up a sign. I asked one of them one time. I said, you know, how much money do you make doing that? He said, I make $300 a day. Why do I need a job? We live in a society today, man, that is an entitled society that wants to get ripped, wants to get high. Don't think it's nothing, there's anything wrong with it. And I've worked with thousands and thousands of people that were bound by drugs and alcohol, methamphetamine and heroin and cocaine. And it usually starts when they're young. Usually starts when people are, are young and in front. I remember that I was in junior high school. I think I was in seventh or eighth grade the first time somebody offered drugs to me. I didn't have any influence in my life. I, I, at first, I pushed it away. They were trying to offer me something back in the day they called little, these pills called reds. Or speed, and then they offered me speed, or they wanted me to get high. And I'd, at first, I tried to, 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 to get away from it. By the time I got into ninth grade, though, I mean, this is, you're talking the 19, early 1970s, all these hippies, right? And everybody's high. Everybody's taking acid. And I remember I was with a bunch of guys, and I wanted to impress these people, you know, because, uh, you know, I was impressionable. And a guy comes up to me and tells me, hey, I've got, uh, 
I've got a, a four-way hit of window pane. I had no idea what, what is that. And he says, I, I'll break it up and give you some, and then I'll take some. You know, I, I'm, I weighed about 100 pounds at the time. He gave me this drug, and nothing happened at first. I remember leaving school that day, and I had a job. I worked at a, at a mall somewhere, and I'm walking down the street thinking about whatever that guy gave me, and all of a sudden, blam, everything started changing. There was a car driving by. The front of the car was over there, but the back of the car was back there, and everything was moving and grooving, and I mean, I went to work. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I worked at a candy store. I saw candy climbing over the counters, and I saw everything moving. You know, some drugs wasn't for me. <laughs> Amen. But you know, I, I watched a whole generation waste. We wasted a whole generation back then, amen, on drugs and alcohol. Today, people, man, I cannot believe the amount of Christians that come to church. They give their lives to Jesus Christ. God does a miracle, restores their marriages, restores their minds, restores their hearts, gives them destiny and a future, but they still cling to some of those things, those bad habits. And I'm talking about things like prescription drug addiction and cigarettes. It's amazing. I, 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 saw, I, saw, I saw a guy, I have a guy in my church right now who was on methamphetamine for 15 years. He mainlined methamphetamine for 15 years, lost his family, lost his marriage, lost everything. And you know something? He said the hardest thing for him to get free from wasn't the meth, it was cigarettes. And you'd be surprised how many people in church still puff on the, on the smoke. <laughs> They'll hide the chew gum, put some cologne on, some perfume, try to hide it, come to church, or others that I like to call sipping saints. Amen. Actually, I call them sipping ain'ts. I was at a conference and I was with some pastors, and we went to the north end of the city, and there was a restaurant there. And up on the north end of the city was a mega church up there that, uh, you know, they believed you can just drink, do whatever you want, and still be a Christian. And I remember we went up there to eat at a restaurant, and as we're walking in, I'm looking at all the tables, and every table has a bottle of wine on it. And everybody's drinking, and they all dressed up. I, I was wondering, what are, who are these people? Where are they from? We sat down, and the lady comes up to me and says, are you from New Life Church? And she holds up a bottle of wine. We have a special going today on such and such wine. This is what I told her as loud as I could in front of everybody in there. I'm kind of ignorant sometimes. I said, if I drink that, I'm going to jump up at this table. I'm going to start whooping everybody in this restaurant. And everybody's looking back like this. Amen. I said, you bunch of hypocrites. And the lady's like, okay, okay. You see, alcohol almost destroyed my life. Alcohol did destroy my life. Why in the world would I want to do something that kills people by the tens of thousands every year, destroys families, destroys young boys' destinies and lives. Somebody says, well, in moderation. What do you get, a little fornication in moderation? Do you get a little, little of this and that? You know what I'm saying? The Bible says in John chapter 8, verse 36, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Amen? I see y'all got a cross here. I, got, I, I put up a cross like this at Breakaway, and I put everything on there. I had bag, bags of fake dope all up on it. I had rags, red rags, 
blue rags. I just think covered with everything you can imagine. And the point of it was this. It's at the cross where freedom happens. It's at the cross where deliverance happens. It's at the cross where people's minds are set free. Amen? And people, people have this mentality in our society today that because they're addicted or because they're either an alcoholic or bound by drugs, they can never change. That their life will never be the same. But I'm here to tell you, man, God is in the business of breaking bondages. He's in the business of setting people free. That's what he does. I got to thinking, what has socialism and communism and Marxism and religion ever done for mankind? Absolutely nothing, ever. Some of you young people, you've been listening to politics lately, and they're pushing in, in schools socialism on all these different things. Let me tell you something. Come straight from the pit of hell. Listen, no, no, no Muslim ever saw a single person ever physically healed. I know that ain't politically correct, and I'm glad. No Buddhist ever saw a blind eye open. Krishna never saw a cripple come up out of a wheelchair. There's only one God, one Lord, one Savior, and he's very exclusive. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. He's the deliverer. He's the God who breaks bondages and habits and addictions. He settles your mind. I couldn't believe it when I got saved. I could not believe the freedom that I felt. I'd never felt that in my life. I started drinking when I was 10 years old. Amen. 10. And when I, and my, all my family, my uncles, my aunts, and everybody were all a bunch of drunks. Everybody was a drunk. And when, and when all the family would come over, they'd all drink. They wouldn't actually give me alcohol, but what they would do was their drinks were lying all over the place. They're getting drunk. They can't think straight. And I'm, I'm walking around snatching this one and that one and this one and that one. And when I couldn't find alcohol, I'd drink NyQuil. <laughs> Bottle of a NyQuil. <laughs> I slept good, but hey, I got, I got a buzz off of it. I mean, I, I, got high, I started getting high when I was a little kid. And I st people in my yearbook, you know, I was, how many wouldn't know what a, uh, an alcoholic athlete is? I was an athlete coming up in school, but I was also an alcoholic. And people would always put in my yearbook something about alcohol. They'd always put something about alcohol because I was the guy, you know, that got drunk and acted a fool. Everybody wanted to hang out with me because they knew I was going to do something stupid. I was going to get in a fight or I was going to do something crazy because I'm drunk. What a miserable life I lived. And I remember coming to church and, and, and for the first time hearing the gospel, when Pastor Jones got up there and he was preaching, have you guys ever been to a circus? And you know how they take that spotlight and that spotlight drops on the, 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 the guy, the master in the, in the middle of the ring and everybody's looking at him. That's exactly how I felt when he was preaching. I actually asked my wife, you can ask her. I said, did you talk to this guy before we got here? Because I felt like he was talking just to me. And I remember the day that we got saved and we gave our lives to the Lord. You know, I, nobody knew what we were dealing with. They didn't know our, my marriage was in shambles and all that I was dealing with. But I remember coming to the altar that day with three people got saved at the altar. My wife and I and some other guy. We gave our lives to Christ. I went home that day. And, and, you know, no one told me. No one called me on the phone. Nobody told me, you know, now that you're saved, don't do ABC. I knew what was right and wrong. Even if you're not saved, you know what's right and wrong. You know what's not good for you. And we went home that day, and we were wa I'm walking back and forth in my living room, and I'm, and I'm pacing like this, and she says, what's wrong? And I said, something happened to me at that church. Because, see, we visited some other churches, 
We tried to find God our own way. Let me, let me back up and tell you how we, found, how we found Jesus. My wife and I decided one day, man, we were, she told me she wanted to divorce me. I was facing 8 to 16 years in prison, and she said she can't handle it anymore. She wants to leave me. And I had a little baby boy just born. And, you know, I can, I can understand why she wanted to leave. But she says we need counseling, and we need a counselor. We need to find some kind of therapy. And you know what I told her? I said, we don't need counseling. We need Jesus. And you know why I said that? Because throughout my life, people have come up to me and handed me gospel tracts and told me about Jesus, but I never, I never accepted him. I never really went all the way with it, but I remember their words. Every one of us in this place remember every time someone's ever witnessed to you. You know that? You remember throughout your life real Christians who talk to you. And I told her, I said, I said, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. And so I said, let's find a church. So when you're not saved, you've never been to church, you weren't raised in church, you don't know nothing about Christianity, I don't know the difference between one religion or another. We found the biggest church we could find. And so we go to this church, I think it was called Rock Rimmon or something. And so we, go, we walk in this church, and you know, I had a big fat attitude, it was all over me, uh, you know, when, you, when I walked. And we walked in there, nobody shook our hands, nobody talked to us. We sat up in the balcony, and we were looking around. And in this church, it was an all-white church, all-white peoples. And I thought, man, there should be, you know, some, some black folks, some Spanish people. Where, 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 are the, where are the Asian folks? There's nobody. It was all-white. It was an all-white church. Nobody talked to me. Nobody said anything to me. When the dude preached, I didn't know what he was talking about because he was preaching about a book he wrote about something. And when we left there, I told him, man, if that's what God has to offer, I don't want it. And then I had this thought, don't get mad at me now. I told her, I said, we're going we're gonna to go to a black church because I heard that they got, they're kind of exciting, you know. <laughs> so we went to a church of God in Christ, right? Problem was it was the opposite problem. I was the only white guy. And so we get in there, man, but at least it had a little bit of fire, you know. And uh, they, he pulled some kind of, I don't know if it was an altar call or what, but he said, if you need something from God, come to the altar. I went to the altar, and these guys surrounded me in a circle, and they started, oh, I don't know what they were doing, praying and whatever. Next thing you know, man, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was like, Sharice goes, what are you doing? I go, I don't know. But I felt God touching me, and I was, damn, I was getting like, going like this. What's happening? And we left out of there, man. I was so confused. I go to this one church. It's deader than a doornail. I go to this other church. He didn't really lead me to the Lord, but I felt God in that place. And then one time, I got on my knees, and I prayed, and I said, God, if you're really real, you got to help us. We have absolutely no idea what we're doing. And you know what happened? Some guy I met on the street that we knew in the world, this guy just got out of prison. He came up to me, and he began to talk to me. His name was Demetrius Conwell. He did, he did two years in prison for robbery. Sharice knew him. I knew him. And he begins to share the gospel with us and tell us that God changed his life. And he was going to this church, and he was in the choir at this church. And this church is exciting. It's on fire. And uh, he, was, he was black. And when I got there, I saw white folks and black folks and Spanish folks and all Asian folks. I saw mixed couples. I saw all kinds of different folks. And this was totally different like you got right here. People were excited. They had something that was real. But it freaked me out to the core, man. I was like, what is happening in this place? These people, man, during the, like your praise and worship, everybody was going like this, lifting their hands and, and speaking in tongues. And Sharice looked at me and said, what are they doing? I said, I think they're speaking Greek or Hebrew. I don't know what they're doing. 
But let me tell you something. That day transformed my wife and I. It transformed us. And Mario said it. It put a hunger in us. It put a hunger in us. I wanted to go back. I told my wife, I said, we're going to go back. I want to find out what else, they, what else are they doing. There, it put something in us. There was a taste for more. And so we started going to these Saturday night music scenes, and we started going to Bible studies, and, and, we, I, and I had these guys calling me and asking me to help them do follow-up. I didn't know what follow-up was. I still had alcohol breath. I was still struggling with alcohol. You know what I mean? I, I, got, I felt like God set me free, but... Sometimes I, as a new believer, I would sneak out and go get a bottle. Anybody at home? Amen. And then I'd come home and feel real bad and then go to the altar and repent and say I'm sorry and then go home and argue with my wife and then go back out and drink a bottle. And I did that for three months. You know why I did that? At first, I needed some discipleship and a good tongue lashing. But, but you know why I kept doing that? Because it was a part of my DNA. It was who I was. That's the only way I knew how to live life. I didn't know any other way. But hearing the gospel preached, amen, you know, the, the key to my victory and the key to my deliverance came because I kept coming, and I kept coming, and I kept coming, and I kept coming. And finally, I shared this with the men, I think, this morning. It was November, and, uh, you know, I was kind of a seesaw back and forth, you know, trying to serve God, trying not to serve God. My wife did real good. It was me that was struggling. It was probably because of the simple fact that, you know, I had given my life to Christ, but my past was following me. And, you know, we, got, we gave our lives to the Lord. Let me just share this with you. I got saved, and the first thought that I had was, I'm going to go tell all my friends. I'm going to tell them that I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and I got saved. So I went to a party where everybody was drinking and partying and smoking dope. And it was this guy's house that had, uh, he, he believed in uh, some kind of, a, I don't know what you call it, those Harry Krishna guys and you know, he had a picture of this guy up on the wall, and he would do this. Om, om, he was in martial arts, you know. And so I thought, you know what? I got saved. And I, the preacher said that we can do all things through Christ. I'm going to go tell these guys about Jesus. I've been saved like a couple days. I go there. I walk in. I start talking to him. I don't know any scripture. I don't know anything about the Bible. But you know what happened? That's the reason why, man, you got to make a decision about the people you hang out with. But I, and eventually they convinced me to drink one beer, one beer. One beer always leads to two beers, and then it begins to multiply. <laughs> that night, that night, man, once I start drinking, you know, there are two types of alcoholics. The kind that love are happy and always they get drunk and they like to be nice to people. And the other ones that want to fight everybody and mostly want to fight big people. And that's me. The bigger, the better. Amen. And the next thing I know, I'm arguing with people, and, and, and then, I, and then the, uh, this girl leaves the party. Everybody leaves the party, and there's three of us left, and I'm walking out to the car, and I'm drunk as a skunk. And I go outside, and all my tires on my car are slashed. All my windows have been smashed. And I look out on the street, and there's these nine guys standing out there. Man, they all got bats and sticks. And they're asking us three, who's Richard? And within about two minutes... One guy that I was with was unconscious on the ground. They hit him in the head with a baseball bat. And the other guy, same thing, they, they, they took him out. And it was just me standing there. And, I, you know, Mario knows me. And, and I put my hand in my pocket like this. And they go, he's got a gun. And I went. And I took off running. And, I, and I'm running and I'm running and I'm running laughing. And I ran into a, it was late at night, I'm drunk, I'm tripping, and I ran into a fence. 
I turned around, man, and I got one of them, but then they started hitting me with baseball bats. And they beat me with baseball bats until I was unconscious and broke my left leg right below the knee. I'm supposed to be a Christian. I got filled with the Holy Ghost. I've been going to church a week. <laughs> right? I'm laying on the ground. I'm unconscious. My body is in the street. My head is on the curb. And I'm, I'm laying there. And I open my eyes and I realize I didn't really at first know where I was at or what was going on. I didn't feel any pain. But then when I went to stand, I realized that my leg was shattered. And I, and I saw an ambulance down the street that was picking up my friends. And I, I low crawled. Military, they talk about low crawling. I low crawled a whole block till I got there. That ambulance saw me. They came. They picked me up. They put me in the ambulance. They took me and my two friends to the hospital. Now, listen. <clears throat> I'm not condoning anything that I did. I'm just telling you what happened, okay? But I got so angry about what had happened. I was so angry that I called a friend of mine. I totally forgot about God. I was angry about what happened. I was embarrassed what I had done. Just like many people do when they come to church and they get saved and they fail and they don't want to come back. And I put a contract out. I had a friend who liked to kill, he liked to cut people and he was going to kill the girl's boyfriend or the girl's uh, relative for me. I had it all set up. I was going to, I had to make a phone call, give him the address and he was going to, he was going to take him out. But man, all of a sudden, you know, I never used to have this conscience before. This, this little voice in the back of your head that tells you don't do something. But I had that now. And I started, you know, it's like, it's like the Holy Ghost was reminding me, you know. And, I, and, I, and I, I was so convicted, I never made the call. I called my wife. She came, picked me up at the hospital, took me home. And I was totally embarrassed. I mean, totally embarrassed. I went back to church, and um, I was on a cast. And I had a cast on my left leg. And the doctors had told me, you're going to be in that cast for nine weeks. Then you're going to have nine weeks in a brace and therapy to learn to walk again. That's how bad it was. But I remember going to church. And this is, this is the thing about a real, true gospel preaching church that drew me to these people and this God that I'm talking about. Is that when I went back to church, nobody pointed the finger at me. Nobody condemned me. Nobody said, what were you doing? They were just loving me, throwing their arms around me, telling me, you all right, man. Is everything okay? They knew I was a new convert. Amen. They knew I was struggling. And, and, and it made me want to go back. It made me want to go back. So I repented again. You know, if you, you, you know, if you, Pastor Jones said, if you don't quit, you won't lose. And you know, it had only been about three weeks. I was bedridden because of the pain in my leg. And it had been about three weeks. And you know what I heard? I heard there was an evangelist. This white dude with the red afro that was up in Denver, Colorado, off of a street called Colfax, in a big tent in a parking lot, and he was praying for the sick, and people were getting healed. I heard about it, and I heard that this guy, man, the television, the news media was there. There were hundreds of people there, and it blew my mind. I heard about it, and I, I asked my wife, maybe we should go check it out. It's Saturday night. Let's go check it out. And, and so we, one of her girlfriends, we didn't have a car. We were living with our in-laws. I had no job. Amen. And I'm living with my in-laws or my outlaws or whatever you want to call them. And, and, and here we are, man, driving to Denver. Here, but here's the ironic thing. I pastor one mile right now from the place where I got healed. Amen. Now let me go back. Here, here we go to this tent revival. We walk in. I sit way in the back. 
way in the back, right? It was, it was long instead of wide. And they were singing. They had just taken an offering. You were hearing testimonies. They had cameras there, and there were sick people everywhere, wheelchairs and people that had come because they want a miracle from God. From, it's from our fellowship of churches. It was one of our churches up there. When I was sitting back there during the offering, they received the offering, and as they received the offering uh, and the basket went by, I took everything that we had. I don't understand Christianity like back then very much, but I understood about giving, so I took everything that we had. We had nothing. I didn't even have a job. And when I released that money into that basket, I felt electricity come through my body. And, and, and nobody else knew what was going on but me. And I, I'm freezing because where my leg was broken, it felt like little ants were eating at my knee. And I'm freaking out, like, like what's happening? I, I didn't understand. Am I having a flashback from the acid I took in high school? What's going on here? I didn't know what the power of God was. I didn't know what the feeling of the Holy Spirit was. But all of a sudden, I had no pain. The evangelist stops, jumps up and says, stop singing. Somebody's getting healed. And you need to stand up and testify or God's going to pass you by. And, I, and I, I sunk down like this. Like this. And I'm freaking out. Would you get up? I didn't. I was freaking out. And then people start getting up and walking down the aisles on both sides. Crippled people and people that were hurting. And he was going, it's not you. It's not you. It's, you're still out there. And he's trying to describe who I am, you know. This happened, that happened. This is the pain that you were suffering and this and this and that. And, and Sharice, you know, your woman knows, knows you better than most people, right? She looks at me because she sees me playing with my cast. She says, it's you. <laughs> she, so, I, so I left my crutches and I started going down the middle aisle like this, walking like this. And you, if you knew this evangelist, you know what I'm talking about. But he goes, it's you. Amen. And I come down there, and this is what he tells me. I want you to go to the doctor, get x-rays, find out what God did for you, come back tomorrow night to the revival, and tell everybody what God did. You know what I did, though? I went straight out that way and out into the parking lot. And you know who followed me? Pastor Paul and a bunch of other people. Pastor Paul at that time was a teenager. And he followed, I don't know if Mario was there. You were there? They followed me into the parking lot, and all these people were there. And I said, hey, y'all, let's take this cast off. Hey, man, that evangelist said I'm healed. So everybody opens up the trunks of their cars. We got a, a hacksaw, a hammer, a buck knife, and one person's working on the bottom, and we're working up here on the top. And we got that thing off, man. And, you know, I had sweats on, and my leg was, was skinny and white and looked sickly, but I could go like this. And I was like, look at that. And so I grabbed the cast and I ran back. And the, the door to the tent was like from the pulpit area. It was right there, one of the doors. So I ran to the door and the ushers were like, excuse me, you can't go in here. I said, what? I took that cast and started swinging it at him. Until he got out of the way. <laughs> now, now you know what Pastor Jones has dealt with all these years. So he got out of my way. I ran in there. He's preaching. He don't know what I was doing. I ran up, he's preaching, and I went like this, check it out! The place went crazy. These people went nuts, amen? They're jumping up and down. I, f I remember when we were leaving, I heard Pastor Jones ask somebody, who is that? <laughs> amen? But you know something? God showed me two things when he did that. Number one, he's a God of mercy and grace. He's a God of forgiveness, because all my life, my biggest enemy was me, just like many people. Amen? 
We beat ourselves up, and even after I got saved, I struggled with condemnation all the time because of my failures and my shortcomings and stupid things that I would say and things that I would do. But God showed me he's the God of mercy and grace, and he wants to reveal himself. He wanted to reveal himself to me as my father that loves me and wants to heal my body. I went out of that. Listen, I went out of that revival, man, and I'm telling you, I was on cloud nine. I had got I got saved, I got filled with the Holy Ghost, I made a stupid mistake, got jumped, got my leg broke, but then I got healed. I'm on my way home, I'm going to get a job, I was thinking, I was excited. That night we went to bed, me and my wife, I was so happy, I never, it's the happiest night of my life. The next morning, I wake up, I'm in the basement of my mother and father-in-law's house, and the phone rings, it's my mom. And she says to me, she's crying and freaking out, and she says, you, this is back when everybody read the newspaper. She said, you need to get the paper. I ran upstairs and got the paper, brought it back down, turned to the back. I turned to the back of the newspaper in the Crime Stopper section, and there's my picture. Amen. While, while I was at the revival, they were flashing my picture on television across the city. It was on all the radio stations. Most wanted, Richard Marshall, five foot two, 150 pounds, wanted for assault and battery. Listen, before I could even make a decision what to do, first thought that came to my mind was, I'm going back to California, I'm getting out of here. That's the first thought I had at first. Before I could, before I could even get my clothes on, my wife's crying, she don't know what to do, she's got my baby, we're looking at each other, what are we going to do? I hear footsteps upstairs. These people set me up, these cops, they knew. You see, about Three weeks to a month earlier, I got a phone call from a, from a detective who told me that he needed to get with me. He needed to talk to me because uh, some, were, they were pretty upset with me about some felony assault charges that I had done. And so they said they didn't have proof of it yet, but they wanted me not to leave town. They were going to, you know, try to research ABC, find out if I did it. Well, guess what? I did it. Amen. And these people, man, before I could get upstairs, they, they handcuffed me and arrested me in front of my wife <clears throat> in the living room in front of my in-laws. I was, I was already on probation for an assault charge. I beat up a cop at the mall. So I was already in trouble. I had already been arrested 25 times before that. And so these people took me to jail. They put me in a cell and it was a felony ward they, they put me in. I was in there with rapists and murderers and all these other crazy idiots. And, that, and I was in a four-man cell. I mean, I, I, I'm, my mind is reeling. All I can think about is, wait a minute. I got saved. I got filled with the Holy Ghost. I got healed. This happened. That happened. Now I'm going to prison. I'm never going to see my baby grow up. My wife's not going to wait for me. And I went to court. And when I went to court, they, I was in an orange jumpsuit. They handcuffed my, they handcuffed my hands to a leather belt around my waist and then shackled my feet together and I had to shuffle to walk. I stood in that courtroom like this and this judge told me that I was facing 8 to 16 years in prison just besides the other charges that I was already dealing with. I mean, I felt red. I was embarrassed. I was confused. I was trying to figure out. But you want to know something? God was in it. God was, he already knew what was going to happen and God was in it. Amen. And he was going to prove himself strong to me again. I, I got out of jail about eight days later on bond. I wasn't supposed to, but I bonded out. I went back to church, and for about eight months I went to court. 
And as I'm going to court, I continue to come to church. I continue to go to prayer in the morning. I continue to do the things that I knew were right to do. But you know something? I knew that I was going to end up going to prison. I knew that I was in a lot of trouble. I had done a lot of terrible things in my life. Uh, I'd done a lot of terrible things, you know, that violated everything that everything that's precious in my life. And you want to know something, man? With the first one of the first hearings that I went to, the judge dropped the charges from eight to sixteen to four to eight. And then they dropped them to two to four, and then they decided they wanted to plea bargain with me. They said, if you'll, if you'll agree to two years, we won't take you to trial, because if we take you to trial, you're going to probably get the max. So I said, I, I'll take it. And I took it. And I, I told my wife when we were ready to go to sentencing, I said, I, I want you to go with me. She says, I don't want to go. I don't want to see you do that. She used to take me to jail. She used to drop me off at the county jail when I had to go do time. She, we would go get, I remember one time we went to Wendy's and ate Wendy's, uh, and, then, uh, and then she would go and drop me off at jail, wouldn't see me for two months, amen. She didn't want to do it. So you know what I did? I grabbed a bunch of ladies at church, and these were some ladies, man. They were some prayer warriors, you know. They were them, them throw your head back, praying women, amen. I grabbed a bunch of them that I saw in church. I said, would y'all come to court with me while I get sentenced? And they said, and, and, and one of the pastors. And they said, sure. And they sat on the back row. They're back there speaking in tongues and praying for me. This is what happened. As I stood before that judge, he made me stand up. And he said, Richard Marshall, I sentenced you to two years in the Colorado State Correctional Institution. And it got real quiet. And then he said this word, suspended. And, and, and I said, this is the honest to God truth. I said, what? Because I didn't understand. I was trying to figure out what he was saying. What? And then he tells me, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't even know why I'm doing this. He said, but I'm going to give you another chance. Right? The district attorney, the district attorney had a hissy fit. He actually took one of his books and slammed him on the podium, was yelling and going off, and the judge had to calm him down. He actually, actually became the mayor later. Amen. He was mad. He said, this dude needs to go to prison. Amen. He keeps getting away with everything. And I used to get away with everything. <laughs> Can I back up for a minute? I used to get, in, I, I got into hundreds and hundreds of fights. People would take me to court for assault charges. And usually it came from beating dudes up that were bigger than me. And so what would happen was we would go, these guys would try to press charges on me, right? But then when they would go to court, they'd be so embarrassed when they got there because I'd wear these shirts, man, that were buttoned all the way up. I'd look like Pee Wee Herman. I'd, I'd, I'd wear shirts that went up like this, comb my hair, and I would sit like this. And, and, uh, and I had them walk out. Of, I've had dude, dudes walk out of court because they were embarrassed, man. Big old guys, you know, right? they walk out of court. They didn't want to be, they don't want to say that I whooped them. Amen. But listen, something happened that day when that judge did that. And I remember walking out of court with the, that group of Christians and that pastor. And I felt such a freedom. I, I felt like I actually, I actually no, it's not that, I, that I'm just saved, but I have, a, I have a father. I have a God who's an advocate for me. I have a God who cares for me. I should have went to prison. I should have I suffered for the things that I did. But he didn't let me do that. I remember sitting in that cell when I first went to jail and all the other men had gone over to the day room and I was by myself and I didn't want to show any kind of weakness in there but I went over by the toilet and I was crying. 
And my, I remember my tears going into that steel toilet. I, I looked up and said, what? God, what's happening? I don't understand. Amen. But you know, God had it in under control. I tell people when they come to church and they say, I, I did this, I did that, I'm facing this, I'm facing that. We always had people coming to church that were, were facing prison time. We always had people that were struggling with addictions. And they think they're the only ones that ever had those types of problems. Or their, their, their problem is much bigger than everybody else's problem. The Bible says in John chapter 8, verse 36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. God goes all the way with you. I said he'll go all the way with you. You see, the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. Jesus went to the cross. He died for us. He shed his precious blood. He paid the price not only for our forgiveness and our healing. We saw some tremendous healings last night. But he also paid the price for the torment in your mind. Bible talks about the peace of God that passes all understanding. This is the most tormented generation on planet Earth. This is a generation, man, because of social media and all the different outlets that they have. Our younger generation, and I'm not necessarily saying you guys, but the younger generation, man, has a warped mentality of what life is. When I was a kid, kids would go out and play in the street. They would go, go to their friend's house. They would ride their bikes and go do things. Today we sit in front of these little screens or we, we're on social media and people are taking their lives because somebody doesn't like them and gives them a thumbs down. Or they're, they're tormented because they, they don't know how to interact. I've never seen a generation like this where people can't even communicate. Because they don't know how. They, they haven't been communicating because they've been communicating through a, a, a device, through a social media platform, rather than talking to people. You see, this generation is more addicted than any generation in the history of the world. Because there's more than one type of addiction. It probably wouldn't hurt some of y'all to get rid of your phone for a while. It wouldn't hurt for you to get up off, up off of Facebook or whatever the other ones are. All those little platforms amen where we take our best picture our best look that we enhanced our best side right and we put that on there and we put all these nice things all those profiles they're all a lie people are bound and tormented and messed up in the head tore up from the floor up and don't even know it amen but they get on these social media platforms and what happens they feel like there's somebody now God already said you're somebody. You don't need to go on there and get some idiot somewhere in New Jersey telling you he likes you or you're special. Amen. God says you're special. God cares about you. You know, I've had the opportunity to share that testimony all over the world. Man, I tell people about what happened. But let me, let, me, let me bring it back to the alcohol and drug part. Because a lot of times people don't understand when I tell them I still struggled. Do you know that even after I got healed, <laughs> I still had some issues. And I had, to, I had to continue to keep coming to the cross. To keep coming and saying, God, help me. God, teach me. And then I begin to watch these godly men at church and I watch how they serve God. I watch how they had these habits that I didn't have. And I begin to try to develop habits. They opened up the church every morning for prayer at 3 o'clock in the morning. From 3 o'clock to 7 o'clock every morning, they had prayer. You could come anytime you want. So I, I made a decision. I said, I'm going to prayer. I had to be at work at 4 o'clock in the morning. I worked at this one particular 
place and had to be there at 4 o'clock in the morning. So I would go to church at 3 o'clock in the morning with this old, this old guy that used to be there, man. His name was Gene Seals. Amen. And he, he, he was crazy. Amen. He'd come at 3 o'clock in the morning, and you could hear him in there praying and calling down the fire. And I'd go in there, man. i hardly get to pray because all he wants to do is talk to me. But I made the, I made the habit of praying. So every morning I would be there. I met with God that day, and, I, and I, that my day began to get better. I learned how to start to read the Word of God, the very basics in Christianity. You know, this Bible is your, is your uh, listen, if you're, if you're dating, this will teach you how to be a good husband or a good wife. Amen? This book will, t- there's nothing in this book right here that, there's no other book you need but this book right here. Amen. So I begin to develop the habit of reading for years and years now for 37 years. Me and my wife have been reading and praying every morning. We have a separate place that we read and pray and it's our saving grace. I get up in the morning and I get up first. I get the coffee pot going and I go downstairs. I warm up the area where I'm going to pray and read downstairs. My wife goes upstairs and she prays upstairs. I can hear her when she begins to pray. My wife, when she used to speak in tongues, she used to sound like she was oriental. Blow my mind, amen. But no offense, but I'm just saying that's how she sounded like that language, amen. But she prays upstairs, I pray downstairs, and it's been our saving grace all these years. That's what's kept us, amen. It's not. It's not that we have all this knowledge of the Word of God. It's that I dig into God's Word, I learn God's Word, I apply God's Word in my life. It was November 27th, 1985. It was a Sunday night. Me and my wife got in an argument. I shared some of this this morning. And I got in an argument with her, man. And, and uh, you know, I was still kind of a knucklehead learning how to be a good husband. And, and uh, so we didn't go to church that night. And so I went down on South Nevada in Colorado Springs. Some dudes were partying at a hotel. And I showed up over there, man, and went in there. And I grabbed a beer, and I just started drinking. And uh, one of the guys looked at me that knew I had gotten saved, that knew I was going to church, and said, I thought you was a Christian. Put my beer down and left. I got in my car, I started driving. I'm driving down Nevada going north. As I come up to this stop sign, if I turn left, the church is right there. It's in a roller rink. Or if I go straight, I was going to go home. It was the first time that I ever heard the Holy Spirit speak. And he spoke to me and said, if you continue to drive straight and continue to do what you're doing, God told me I was going to die. And I took a left turn. I went into that parking lot. I went into the church. I sat in the back. Every, you know, people knew me. They didn't know me real well, but they knew me. And when that altar call came, I ran to that altar. I got down on my knees again, and I said, God, I'm sorry. And when I stood up, one of the brothers, his name was Steve Armstrong, asked me a question. He said, what do you want from God? And you know what I told him? And this is what I tell every person that struggles with alcohol, drugs, pornography, prescription drug addiction, cigarettes, whatever it might be. This is what I told him. I said, I don't want the desire anymore. God set me free, but I still had the, the, it was ingrained in my mind. I was so used to it over the years. I said, "I, I don't want the desire. I want a desire for God. And that man laid his hands on me at that altar, man, and I felt the power of God come over me. God knew that I finally was sick and tired of being sick and tired. That's where some people need to get. You need to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. If you're not getting free, it's because you're not sick of what you're doing. You're not tired of it yet. You're not sick of it yet. 
You ain't got to the bottom of the bottom. You haven't gotten under the scum yet. You haven't got to the lowest low. I don't want to get to the lowest, lowest, lowest low. You lose your wife. You lose your kids. You lose your freedom. You lose everything. Amen. Then you look up. I didn't want to get that place. Amen. And I just said, God, I'm sick of me. I'm tired of me. I'm tired of this mess. Set me free. And that day he set me free. He delivered me. And ever since that day, I've never had the desire to go back. I never had the desire to use drugs. I never had the desire to use alcohol. And God put it on my heart. And he gave me a burden for people that struggle with addictions. And that's why when we did Breakaway, for me, it was exciting. It was fun. It was something that I enjoyed. And when people would come in and they would try to, try to you know, guys would come in and they'd try to shock me with their testimony, you know, and shock me with what they're dealing with. But I'd just preach the straight gospel to them and tell them God will set you free. And I watched grown men tatted up gang bangers i watched the power of god hit him knock him on the floor crying like a baby and get delivered from drugs and alcohol get free amen there's not a single person in this room that right now you can't be free nobody i used to have a can i told him to put a trash can up here because at breakaway i had a trash can but i decorated it and it used to say set free can and i had it out every service in breakaway and all these guys would come. We had seven vans. We had seven church vans that would go to halfway houses and, and all these different rehabs across the city every Friday night. And we'd pack hundreds of them in there, amen. They would come. They smelled like weed. They smelled like alcohol. There were fist fights in the hallway at church. Pastor used to go, what in the world is going on? Amen. There was crazy things going on. People trying to sell dope at church, you know. Cause the, but, hey, listen, we were getting sinners. Amen. I remember we would we would have services, man, and there would be 200 visitors, not 20 visitors. There'd be 200 visitors. And we would do these drama productions that we put together. And these drama productions were gang banging. We, we made up these dramas, you know, where about a family that the son was struggling with with gangs and drugs and the other brother was saved or whatever. And it was just a drama. So we put these drama, these dramas together and we took the very people, man, who came out of all those lifestyles and we put these dramas together well i didn't realize how successful these were going to be we started traveling around the country we did one at this church amen we went into auditoriums across the country and we do these these productions and back then we used to have all these pistols these were uh they were they, they look real they were 357s nine millimeter shotguns and they had blanks in them and it was back before everybody was freaking out over guns, right? And the way we would start the play, you guys would love this. So what, how we would do it, it would be all decorated the stage. There would be all these, these uh, symbols and all these different things up on the stage. And all these guys are dressed up. And um, the light, I would get up to the front and I would stand there and I'd tell everybody what we're about to do. We're about to present to you, uh, you know, I forget the name of the play, uh, Broken. And the lights would go out. And they didn't realize it, but in the back, about 15 guys had snuck around to the back with all those weapons. And as soon as the lights would go out, they would fire and empty their weapons. Da, 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 da. They were sounded exactly like real weapons. And people were peeing on themselves. They were falling all over the place. Amen. We, it was shock therapy. And then we would begin to play. And every time we, I'm, I got to tell you guys this. It's, I, I got the mic. Amen. So I get to tell you. We, we, at the end of every one of these plays that we did, we had a casket. I bought a casket from a funeral home, a real one. 
And we always, somebody had to die. Every, somebody's got to die if we're doing a play. And then we would have a funeral, a real funeral, man. And we'd bring that casket down. And we put that casket up on the stage, and that person that got killed during the drama production was in there. And you'd think it was just the drama. People are weeping and shaking. We did it at the City Auditorium in Colorado Springs. 2,100 people came out, and 800 people came to the altar. We couldn't fit the people in there, amen, to, to get around that altar. You know why? Because people are hurting and lonely and desperate and they're fake and they're always trying to front and act like they're tough. But everybody, man, is looking for answers. They want to meet a real Christian. Amen? Somebody who's made mistakes like you and I. Somebody who's fighting to go after God and wants to do something for God. I love doing breakaway. I did that. I did breakaway for 17 years. 17 years I did it. I do have to admit that after about 17 years, we were kind of getting tired of it. And my wife would quit every Friday night. Amen. I'm not kidding. She'd tell me we'd get home. She goes, I quit. I said, you can't quit. I need you. Okay, one more week. <laughs> Listen to this. When we finally stopped doing breakaway, I lost my mind because I didn't know what to do. You know what I mean? I had no platform. I, I couldn't, I had nowhere to preach, nothing to do. I'd pastored a couple churches, but I wasn't doing nothing. And then one day, Pastor Paul asked me, hey, hey there's a church in Denver. You want to, you know, we're looking for a pastor. I mean, he didn't, I don't think I even gave him time to finish his sentence. Yeah, we'll do it. Amen. You know something? We got up to Denver, and as I, I we've been there now for four years, and uh, one day, a guy walks into the church. He walks into the church, and I said, I recognize you. And he goes, yeah, I know you. He was one of the guys at the tent revival when I got my leg healed 30-something years ago, was there and watched me get healed. Amen? And he shows up at the church. He's still there now. Actually, man, that guy wants to pastor now. Him and his wife, they're, they want to they want to pastor a church. When he came in, he was marriage was broken. He, uh, she, they had left each other. They were in the verge of the divorce. Now they're back together. They're on fire for God. He's my most faithful disciple. He wants to start a church. And if God works it out, I'm going to send that boy out somewhere. And guess what? He's 62 years old. His wife only has one leg because her leg got tore off when she was partying in a car and, and flipped it and it tore her leg off. But God will use anybody. Amen? You see this sermon? I didn't even preach it. <laughs> I don't know. We're going to pray. I don't know what you're dealing with when you came in here. I don't know what you got going on. But I can tell you this. God's here. God's here. Amen? And I'm telling you right now, I don't care what you're struggling with. I'm not here to embarrass you. I don't want to embarrass you with whatever you're dealing with. But this I know. If God can set me free, God can set Pastor Free or, pa or Pastor Mario, some of these other men. He can set you free. He's the God of all hope, the Bible says. He's hope to the hopeless. He's a God that gives strength to the strengthless. I can tell you this. He's always wanted to use your life. And tonight, it's not an accident. My brother said that. It's not an accident you're here. And the reason it's not an accident, because through a series of circumstances, God brought you here, and you're here. And now's your opportunity to be free. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, in the name of Jesus.
Thank you for these precious people tonight. Lord, I pray right now that not a single person within the sound of my voice is going to walk out of this place the same way they came in. I pray, God, that every person that's struggling and bound and tormented by the devil, that tonight's their night. Tonight is their night. And, God, you're going to set them free. If you're here in this place, though, and you've never made a decision for Jesus, you've never been born again, you've never accepted the Lord's forgiveness, tonight is your night. And with no one looking around, if that's you and you want God to forgive you, you want to invite him into your heart and be your Lord and Savior, quickly hold your hand up all over this place and wave it at me and say, pray for me. I need Jesus. I want, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to be born again. I want to know the Lord. Hold it up. Put it right back down. Say, pray for me. Pray for me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, please, I want you to keep close your eyes, if you will, with me. You're in this place, and you're struggling with some type of a habit or addiction, something. It could be something very simple, or it could be something pretty, pretty terrible, and you're, you're embarrassed about it. And I'm not going to uh, call you out on it. I'm, all I'm asking is, if that's you, and you believe that God can set you free, and tonight is your night, and you can be free from it. Come on, I want you to hold your hand up. Hold it and wave it at me. Hold them up, hold them up. Many hands, hold them up high. Come on, hold them up, hold them up. Thank you, Jesus. You can put those down. I want every person that raised their hand, if you're serious and you mean business, as we all stand, I want you to come out of your seat and stand here so I can pray for you. Come on, let's all stand. Let's all stand. Come on, come out of your seat. I want to pray for you. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Hallelujah. This can that I talked about earlier, what we, we, what we used to do is every Friday night I would tell them, I said, if you're serious about the thing that you're dealing with, and you mean business with God about it, whatever it might be, I would tell them next Friday I want you to bring it, and I'm going to have you walk up here and dump whatever that is in that trash can. And every Friday night they would fill this overflowing. There would be... I had, I had things like divorce papers and bullets and, and, uh, and, and you name it, crack, cocaine, meth, everything. People were dumping it in here, things that I can't even tell you what they were. They would, the can would overflow. The can didn't work anymore. So we started doing other things. We would say, all right, next Friday night, I want you to bring everything that separates you from God. And I even talked about music. And you young people need to listen to me. Once you give your life to Jesus Christ, the things that you look at and the things that you listen to are vital to your Christian experience. Once you're saved, guess what? Tupac be no more. Amen? What? You can't listen to music. You can't listen to music that's ungodly and vile. Talks about beating women, doing drugs, killing, races, all these craziness that's out there, whether it's country music or whatever. You can't listen to that and then come to church and sing, for he is Lord. Amen? It's, I can tell you this. I used to have a list of all the Christian artists who sounded like secular artists. It used to be a big list. So say, for instance, if you like some particular group, there was always a Christian group that had a similar type of sound. And so I would pass it out to all the young people and break away and give it to them so they could have something to listen to. I'm not telling you not to listen to music. I'm just telling you to listen to some some. Good music, godly music. And one day I said, I want next Friday night, I want everybody to bring, I want you to bring all your music. They had, you know, 
before uh, it was a while back, so they had all those little CDs. They brought eighteen thousand dollars worth of of CDs and different things, and we filled the entire stage up. It was a foot deep, right, with CDs and all kinds of different things that people wanted to get free from. And what we used to do is take sledgehammers. And I would grab the newest people that just got saved, give them sledgehammers, and I would get the Rocky theme and play it on the thing. And it would go, na-na-na, na-na-na. And then I'd let them come up and break thousands and thousands of dollars worth of CDs and bongs and, and you name it. And they would smash it everywhere. It used to tear that stage up. I'm sure pastor didn't like, appreciate that, but, but man, those people were happy. So you know what? Tonight we, we didn't get an opportunity to... To, to talk about music, but I'm going to ask you after we pray, if you've got something in your car, if you've got something on your person, in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to come up and dump it in that can. If you mean business, amen, if you're serious about it, you'll do anything to be free, wouldn't you? Right? I, I, I would do anything to be free. I, I tell people that are struggling with cigarettes, I'm not saying cigarettes will send you to hell, but it sure make you smell like you've been there. Hey, man, an early grave, it's a terrible example to your kids. It's a terrible example to other, other people. But I know it's a habit that you got to break. But let me tell you something, you can, you can break it. And if you're serious, you ought to throw your ashtrays away. I tell people, this is what I used to say. If you mean business about being free, go to the front door of your house with your wife or whoever you live with, uh, your kids, and, say, and walk in every room of your house and say, Holy Spirit, what in this room does not please you? So you walk over to your music and, 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 and look at it and ask the Holy Spirit, what in here don't you like? And get it out. Go over to the, your video cabinet or whatever your movies are and get all the movies out that you know you ain't supposed to be watching. They don't edify anybody, right? And you get all those out of there. Some people keep things like unicorns and, and they hold on to little trinkets and things that have, have to do with witchcraft and sorcery and don't even know it. Amen? And let me tell you, little trinkets like that are magnets for demonic oppression, demonic demon spirits. If you ever seen that picture of bleeding heart Jesus that the Catholic Church has? Let me tell you, that thing right there is as demonic as it, as, it, as it goes. Nobody knows what Jesus looks like. Amen? Far as I know, he had a fro because they said his hair was curly. Amen? He had olive-colored skin. I don't want a picture of him. I want to worship him. I want to know him. I don't want to try to pretend who he is and, and look at a picture on a wall. The Bible says one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt have no idols before me. Amen. Go through your house when you get home. And some of y'all out there need to go through your stuff at home. Get rid of your Budweiser t-shirts. I'm serious. Some of y'all got some Led Zeppelin t-shirts or whatever, right? And you got stuff that you know that you just hold on to it because it's, it's memories. What kind of memories is that going to bring to you? Amen? Ungodly memories. And lastly, let me say this. This is what it's like. It's like having a boyfriend, ladies. And this boyfriend gives you some things. He gives you some things. You're out here dating. Well, you dump that boyfriend, and you get a new boyfriend. That old boyfriend was the devil. That new boyfriend is Jesus, right? And how would, it, how would you feel, how I think he should feel when he comes home and you're, and you're over here looking at pictures of your old boyfriend. And, or or, or you, you keep the ring that he gave you or the coat that he gave you. There was a guy that I knew that got married years ago. And uh, he married this girl. He was a young man. And uh, he married this girl. And one day he came home. True story. He came home. And on the coffee table, she had all these pictures of her and her, old, her ex on the table. 
And he's, what are you, what are you doing? And she was just checking him out again. You know what I mean? She had all this stuff. He ended up divorcing her because she still had a relationship with him. That's really what we do to God. If I'm going to go for Jesus, I'm going all the way. All the way. There's a song we sing. All the way. I'm going all the way. You know that song? Not really, huh? I wish I could sing. I'd sing. You do? On the piano? Okay. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask the pastors to come, and we're going to pray. Amen. I want, you, I want you to pray this with me, though. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Jesus, I come before you right now, and I ask you to set me free from every habit, every addiction, and everything that keeps me bound right now in Jesus' name from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. I apply the shed precious blood of Jesus. I apply the blood to my mind. I apply the blood to my conscience. I apply the blood to my life. And from this moment forward, God, I make a commitment to you that I will never, I will never, I will never go back to my old life. Please forgive me, Lord, of these terrible habits. Forgive me of my sin. I give you lordship of my life. And from this moment forward, I belong to you. I, my whole life belongs to you. In Jesus' name. Now lift your hands right now where you're at. Come on, lift your hands where you're at. And as these ladies sing, we're going to come by and we're going to lay hands on you. We're going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God touch you right where you're at right now. And he's going to break that bondage. He's going to break that desire. He's going to.